Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Mel Mason. And I'm Laura Brodnick. Hello. Hello. We're in the studio together for the first time in like, what, six years? I know. Three weeks. 84 <laughs> years. 84 years, as the Titanic scene says. Yes, it's really nice to have you here. I could touch you from where I am. Um, so we don't, have, we don't really have HR rules in this office, so you do what you want. <laughs> Well, coming up on the show today, I mean, all we can talk about today is the J-Lo documentary, Halftime. It's on Netflix. It landed last night. We both watched it. We've got a lot of thoughts. But first up, here are the news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. Yeah, so first up today in news that no one was ready for, Netflix has greenlit Squid Game The Challenge. So it's a reality competition series based on the hit 2021 South Korean drama that had us all very emotionally invested but also completely terrified. And the only thing that kept me going was thinking, I'll never have to do anything like this. But now the opportunity is there. (laughs) Now you can. (laughs) I know, I can. So according to Netflix, Squid Game The Challenge will be the biggest reality competition series ever, hosting the largest cast, so it'll have 456 players, and will actually offer the largest lump sum cash prize in reality television history, with 4.56 million up for grabs, if that entices you to sign up. So the 10-episode competition series will see contestants go through a series of games in inspired by Squid Game and a few new challenges, and it's going to be filmed in the UK. So the recruitment for the series is currently open to English language speakers, because like these idiots are dumb enough to go in for this, (laughs) from anywhere in the world. And we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to enter. I actually started entering this morning just to kind of see what they asked for. But just a little caveat, it doesn't say in there they won't kill you. I was just about to say, (laughs) does it say in there you may not come out of this alive? So So we'll put the link in there, but look, enter at your own risk. The drama surrounding Kim Kardashian and Marilyn Monroe's dress just keeps going and going and going. The dress is now back at Ripley's Believe It or Not in Hollywood, and that means people can see it and take photos of it. Marilyn Monroe collector Scott Fortner did just that, and his snaps went viral as they allegedly showed damage to the dress after Kim's Met Gala appearance. It's essentially like some small tears to the gauzy top layer near the zip and like there's a few crystals missing or hanging by a thread. But honestly, I wouldn't have even noticed the crystal part. Like they have a before and after photo and it's quite minor damage, in my opinion, for a dress that was already quite delicate. But look, I just can't believe we are still talking about this dress. 
I don't want to talk about the dress anymore. Like, I mean, I suppose what we're really talking about, though, is celebrity privilege, right? Yeah, exactly. There's been so many funny tweets about of people saying, like, you know, I don't care about Kim Kardashian and Marilyn Monroe's dress because I'll never own a home and someone else being like, well, you know, it just shows the privilege that it wouldn't even enter into her mind to do that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Ripley's own the dress yes. and they lent it to her. And in the clips that were released of her trying on the dress, you've got a whole team of, like, specialists around her whose mm. whole job is to you know, look after the dress and preserve the dress, fitting her into it with gloves that, you know, you're like, well, that's probably doing not that much <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day <laughs> and sliding her into it. So I don't know. I'm on the fence about this. Like, obviously, I didn't want the dress damaged either. But a lot of people are saying, like, she should have just worn the replica. She had the replica. Yes. And that's just not a great headline. I'm sorry to say. And the whole point of her wearing that dress mm. was to get a headline. And the reason she wanted to fit into the exact dress and wear that dress and why she lost that crazy amount of weight in such a short period of time and why the dress was flowing to her, that was all part of the build-up and the story around it. So she literally walked a few steps of the red carpet, ducked into the tent and took the dress off. Like, that's all part of the narrative, but, yeah. you know, of course it is kind of damaged. But um, is it, though? Because I mean, yeah, is it? it this really. is some conspiracy theories. The TikTok of those Oh, kids, you mean, like, literally not at all? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, no more so. So TikTok and, like, you know, the kids online and stuff were going wild last night. I know I sound like an old lady, but I was like, just calm down, <laughs> the everyone. Kids, the the kids, kids out there. We're having a field day because a few people were like, well, the photos are taken in such different resolution with different cameras. Like, oh my God. one camera would shop this and maybe, like, the dress looks the same and then other people were saying well this is like a proper Marilyn Monroe historian who has taken these photos and who is telling the story so we should trust them mm. and then other people were also saying that oh well I took like really close up high resolution screenshots while Kim Kardashian was trying on the dress and you can clearly see in the screenshots that there is already damage to the dress so I, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I feel like it doesn't even matter. Like, I just don't even care about this dress anymore. I feel like if we're so angry about damage to this dress, the bigger conversation that needs to be had is should we be allowing just a random company like Ripley's Believe It or Not to buy historical artifacts like this? Like, if we yeah. consider it historical, then let's petition, like, the bloody US whatever. Get, like, some heritage <laughs> preservation. Yeah, get some weird – because it is kept in a temperature-controlled room, so they are looking after it. Yeah. But it's also, like – they own it, so they can lend it out. Whereas if it were owned by like whatever the museum is over there, like what's the that museum? That's the one where people the think it should be, but they didn't buy it at auction. And it sounds like we're being flippant. We're obviously not. Like we know how much history is in this dress, mm. and a lot of these preservation techniques weren't in play in kind of these older Hollywood times. So a lot of beautiful costumes and like important dresses yeah. have been lost over time. So obviously that's important, but. The amount of outrage, a lot of these people, I'm like, you don't really care that much about old Hollywood preservation or like all of a sudden everyone's like a Marilyn Monroe defender when half of them probably don't even really know her full backstory, have never thought about her before. Mm. I think a lot of this is coming just from hatred for Kim Kardashian in general. Yeah. And so everyone's kind of projecting that onto her. Whereas if the dress had been damaged in another way or by someone else wearing it, I don't think there'd be this amount of hate. I think we'd still be annoyed if it were like, you know, Dakota Johnson or something, anyone else who wasn't as controversial. I think we'd still be pissed off. I think it's because the Kardashians have a history of just like, I want it, I've got it, you know? And and so, yeah, I just think at the end of the day, like, let's just discuss preserving these dresses in museums then. If we're, you know, let's take, you know, an edit of what Ripley's Believe It or Not owns and be like, okay, well, US government, you should be buying this stuff off them and putting them away and having rules around who can and can't borrow them slash just don't let anyone borrow them. Exactly. And we should say that Kim Kardashian hasn't commented yet, but she might be saving that for the next season of The Kardashians. 
So Jennifer Lopez's new documentary has dropped on Netflix after a lot of build-up, mainly from The Spill, because we've covered it like 15 times <laughs> in the lead-up to the premiere. And it follows the star from the day of her 50th birthday celebrations to the Super Bowl halftime show that she co-headlined with Shakira in 2020, a beautiful memory for us all. So Netflix has billed it as global superstar Jennifer Lopez reflects on her multifaceted career and the pressure of life in the spotlight. So the documentary premiered at the opening night of the 2020 Tribeca Film Festival to quite positive reviews. Mel, what's your take? I was bored. What? <laughs> oh, my Sorry. God. We really had a different reaction. I was like on the edge of my seat. Oh, so I was like, I mean, there was a few moments where I was like, oh, I see what's happening here. But I really, I felt the power of Jennifer Lopez wash oh, over me. Look, I think that it paints her in a very, very, very good light, right? And that to me is the intention. And what I get tired of with these docos where the person involved is behind them, which I think is important because, you know, control the narrative to some degree. But I do think if you can make a whole documentary about yourself, can you control that narrative at least in a sort of incredibly honest way? In saying that, watching it and seeing her family, her upbringing, exactly how hard she's had to work to become the star that she is, I completely understand why she is so controlled around herself, around how she presents herself to the world, around how, you know, everyone's perceiving her. I fully understand why it is the way that it is. I'm just saying that from just the perspective of a viewer, I was bored. Okay, interesting. I definitely <laughs> thought it, would t- it was definitely this history we have of particularly women in the spotlight putting out their own documentaries. Mm. Like she's not credited as the, you know, creator or the director or anything like that, but you can tell that she definitely had yeah. a huge hand in, in it. And I kind of chose to look at it through almost like Taylor Swift's documentary, Miss mm. Americana, which at the time I wrote, this is not a documentary, it's more like a self-tape kind of thing. People were very angry, but I didn't mean that in a negative way. I'm like, there's something also interesting looking in how Superstar chooses to present themselves to the world. Mm. But I think a lot of people were maybe going into it thinking it was going to be a bit of a framing Britney Spears tone, where it was like a collection of things that had happened to her and facts and flashbacks. Mm. And it's interesting that at times they almost lent into that idea, like they were showing past clips of her doing interviews and seeing this really sexist stuff that she had to put up with and being asked about her body and the tabloid culture at the time, which we know was such a huge thing around her. And they lent into that a little bit, but didn't dwell on it. And I Mm. thought it was also interesting that they didn't really, like the Ben Affleck cameo was very hyped because it was in the promo, Mm. but he was literally in there for two seconds. Literally two seconds. A-Rod didn't make the cut, which honestly must have been hard because they filmed her for a couple of years from her 50th birthday in the lead up to that. So much around the Super Bowl leading into President Biden's inauguration. That's the final scene from the film Mm. where it kind of comes full circle. And he was with her for all of that, but they very strategically just cut him out, which I was okay with. I was like, I've talked enough about it. I wonder if they just like, you know, like rubbed a little (laughs) eraser on the video. It's like, oh God, he's there again. Get rid of him. (laughs) We'll have to go back and look in the scenes if there's like a weird green screen spot next to her where he's been taken out. That would just make me so happy. Oh, it would make me so happy. She has the power to do that. So one of the biggest moments, I mean, essentially like it was a bit about her career, but it was so much on the Super Bowl halftime show. And it really did make me look at that whole Super Bowl halftime show differently. 
because at the time the Super Bowl came out, it was very much like they're co-headlining, it's amazing, and it was. But what the documentary really lent into was the fact that they wanted a Latina woman to be the halftime show, but instead of giving one artist the full halftime show like they'd done previously with like a Justin Timberlake or something Mm. like that, they decided instead to split it between Shakira and Jennifer Lopez, which you see from the doco neither of the women are very happy about because it means they have to cut down their performance. They're like so kind of limited in what they can actually do. And I almost wish they'd lent into that more. Yeah. And I'd love to know Shakira's like full perspective because you only saw her like on the phone to Jennifer Lopez or in the background. Yes. But there's so many times where Jennifer Lopez is saying like, this is absolutely ridiculous. We shouldn't be doing it together. You know, it's really kind of stunted how we can perform. And also the idea that like her manager is saying to her, it's a real insult to say like, a white man or a white band can leave this spot by themselves. Mm. They're saying in order to make this good, we need two Latina women. Like the idea that Jennifer Lopez at this stage of her career isn't enough for a halftime show is quite mind-boggling. Yeah. But I almost feel like they were too scared to really show the full interaction between her and Shakira because they knew how the media would frame it. And they were 100% right. that Everyone would be like, cat fight. These two women can't get along together. Whereas mm. what I saw was these two women who had these huge careers – who were trying to come together, but there was so much pushback just because of who they are and what they had to do. Well, and they both had their frustrations, their valid frustrations. It didn't actually come across like, oh, J-Lo is pissed because she didn't get to have the full halftime show. It was more like both Shakira and J-Lo are pissed because this is interfering with their craft and what they can then do on that stage. And those scenes where they're prepping for the halftime show where I think you see the Jennifer Lopez, like the very stylized, very like bubbly, sweet kind of, but like tough Bronx girl, like that's when her facade slips a bit and you see her in like work mode and in manager mode. Mm. And that's when she's not like J-Lo. She's like Jennifer Lopez businesswoman because there's scenes where she's training her dancers and you can just see like she is as tough as nails boss and she has really high expectations and she even like gets some in a group together and was like, it does take a while to warm up to me. And there's so many times where I think she could have turned it on for the cameras to being like, and she did sometimes, you know, she was teaching little girls to dance and she was crying and mm. all that sort of stuff. But when you saw her in like full work mode, she's such a different person. And there's one stage where like the dancers do some like trick where they flip themselves up in the air and the choreographer goes, oh, you make that look so easy. And Jennifer Lopez like, yeah, it is easy. Yeah. Like, you guys should be able to do this, <laughs> pull it together. And then there's a time where everything kind of comes to a head where the day before the Super Bowl mm. that she gets a call from the head of the Super Bowl. That's definitely not a style. But <laughs> I don't, Super Bowl I don't know anything about the Super Bowl except for like, who performs apart from that yeah. I'm like, I don't know what else they do for the rest of the time but she gets a call and she really tells him they're yeah, absolutely like not going to do that to him. I'm trying to give you something with substance not just us out there shaking our fucking asses and fucking belly dancing I want something real I want something that's going to make a statement that's going to say we belong here and that we have something to offer and that's what I want to do and that's what I'm trying to do I can't do it if you guys keep just pressing us for fucking seconds and minutes and we're fighting I don't want to fight I'm sure some people will frame that as like a diva having a tantrum. But Mm. to me, that's like a businesswoman, the owner of this kind of huge event, this thing that she's pulled together, just completely pushing back. And to watch her have that unfiltered conversation, Yeah, I was like, this whole documentary has almost been worth it just for this moment. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that about the diva stuff, because I think definitely from this documentary, it feels like J-Lo is very much pushing, like, I am not a diva. I am a strong woman with a multifaceted career, as Netflix has said, (laughs) who, you know, is just very, very busy. It's not like they just walk on the stage and do their little show and then leave. There is so 
much work that goes into that. And look, it sounds like I loved it now. I was going to say, I feel like you're warming around to it because there was so much in there. I mean, what about the stuff around the award season for Hustlers? I yeah. also found super fascinating. That was kind of the B storyline following the halftime show stuff. So they kind of tapped into like how hard it was to get Hustlers made and the fact that she was 50 when she was doing it. And she was saying like, at 50 years old, I'm at, I just have had my most successful movie ever in terms mm. of like, you know, critical acclaim. And for the first time, she's being treated like a serious actress. And look, maybe this was for the camera, but it really got to me when she was like in bed and she was reading the yes. first reviews of Hustlers and she comes across, I think it was from Glamour magazine, where they like this criminally underrated actress yes. is finally having her time in the spotlight. And she started crying. Yeah. And everyone was telling her that they did this kind of mashup where they showed like every interview show she went on, every podcast and all these kind of big, like, proper film reviewers saying, like, she's going to get an Oscar nomination, she's going to get an Oscar nomination Mm. and the lead up to that. And then you see her getting ready for the Golden Globes, which I actually just would have watched a whole documentary of her trying on dresses for the Golden Globes. I found that so soothing. Mm. But then you see the lead up to that and, like, I kind of do sometimes think that with actresses or actors who are there and just get nominated but don't win, like, it's still great for their career. But with her, you saw the kind of crushing defeat when she loses to Laura Dern, who shouldn't have won for that role, but that's a whole other podcast. But you see kind of like team Jennifer Lopez and like their whole business is around her, this room of like 20 people watching. And when her name doesn't get called, like the whole room just falls and they're so broken. And then she has to walk into that room and face her team and be like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, God, that's a crushing disappointment. That's the thing, like, I think why I found it boring, right? Is because (laughs) I do get that, like, there were so many poignant moments in this documentary where she really comes up against some really hard stuff. Like, that is awful. But then if I say compared that to the Katy Perry documentary, my favourite of all time, the scene where Katy Perry and Russell Brand split and he, like, texts her to, like, end their marriage, which is insane. And she's just sobbing. Like, it's just the most raw emotional scene. Like, I started crying watching it and I never cry in movies. And, like, nothing about that was controlled or fabricated. It was just all there on the screen. I then look at that and then look at halftime and everything with Jayla, she's such a controlled performer. And like I said, I totally understand why she is like that. She even addresses it when she's talking about her like past relationships and stuff. And she's like, the cameras will never see what I'm actually feeling. And I understand that. But I think then in a documentary, it just doesn't land for me. Like then I'm like, well, I just don't feel like I watched The Real You. I feel like I just watched sort of a very glossy kind of like a Vanity Fair article yeah. of you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's definitely tr- I just I look at Katy Perry's documentary in this in such different kind of eyes because I think for Katy Perry like this horrific thing happened to her while the camera was filming and she chose to leave it in Mm. to kind of show that part of her life because maybe did help tell her story with Jennifer Lopez is interesting because we know that she also had a huge relationship breakdown at the same time and she's obviously made a very conscious decision to completely cut that out Mm. I don't know whether that's because so much of her career has been focused on her love life and who she's dating and she made a very conscious choice not to have that included and so much of this documentary came across as her saying like look what I've done look what I've done but also look how like I faced you know all the hardships I faced like she's got this real narrative in her head that she almost came across as like desperate for the audience to see her in a very particular way and in a way it's kind of interesting like I said to get into a superstar's head and be like okay the last 30 years of your career you've had this niggling thing where you want people to see you a particular way and here it is on screen for nearly two hours for everyone to see Mm. but yeah it's definitely not like a full scope of her 
her life. But I don't know. I don't, I don't think it was ever meant to really be that. It's this little contained portion of her mind and her life from the last couple of years. Because then after the Golden Globes lost, you go into the Oscars where she didn't get nominated. Yes. That's the bit I needed to see more of because I just feel like she was so much more crushed mm. than we actually saw. And then they kind of do the sports movie arc where they bring it back into her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Winning at the Super Bowl, but she looks great at the Super Bowl. So at the end of the day, she did win. Well, look, if you have watched Halftime and you've got thoughts like we do with a capital T, you can come to The Spill on Facebook, join our group, and we'll chat to you for sure. I'll be in there. But also, if you haven't seen it yet, it is streaming on Netflix now. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. This episode of The Spill was produced by myself, Laura Brodnick, and Gia Moylan with audio production by Riyadh and Mooney. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. This podcast was made by Mamma Mia, the only women's media company in Australia. If you want to support women's media, we'd love it if you became a Mamma Mia subscriber. There's a link in the show notes.